Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our focus today is on consumerism and the consumer experience in healthcare. It is one of the hottest issues in healthcare today throughout all sectors of healthcare delivery, and we are in for a special treat. Our guest today is Kevin Mabbitt, who is the Chief Consumer Officer at Intermountain Health. I uh, had the opportunity to interview Kevin in late August of 2018. That was episode 45, which was posted on September 12th of 2018. I would urge you to take a listen to that episode, even if you've heard it before. It was, in fact, the most downloaded interview I've posted to date with over 10,000 downloads. I've listened to it and read the uh, transcript numerous times. It's uh, it's chock full of lessons and wisdom on the issue of consumerism in healthcare. Before we jump into today's interview, which uh, I recorded with Kevin on January 18th of uh, this year, 2019, let me reintroduce you to Mr. Mabbitt with a brief summary of his background. Kevin Mabbitt is the Senior Vice President and Chief Consumer Officer of Intermountain Healthcare. He began serving in this position uh, in August of 2017. He brings more than 25 years of consumer-focused experience to this new role. Uh, Mr. Mabbitt was previously at the Walt Disney Company, where he served as the global head of consumer insight. He led consumer experience development and transformation for Disney's theme parks, cruise lines, resorts, their retail and digital assets in Europe, in the United States and in Asia. He was instrumental in defining and optimizing the guest experience at uh, Disney's first theme park in mainland China, the Shanghai Disney Resort. He also helped drive the expansion of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and the Star Wars brands globally. So without further ado, let's drop into the dialogue we recently recorded. Let me welcome you again uh, to the podcast. And um, I really would love to jump in with you and ask you the question. You know, you talked about the Intermountain experience when we spoke uh, last time. So what what have you been working on, you and your colleagues at Intermountain? What is the Intermountain experience at a high level in terms of strategy, but even at uh, what are the components? What are the initiatives and programs and processes that you are putting into place to make the Intermountain experience? Right. And um, thank you for having me on again, Zev. It's always a pleasure. Sorry it's been so long, but I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So as I think about the experience, um, firstly, I, I start with people and, and their needs and their lives and, and and really kind of what matters to, to people and, and, um, and, and therefore the experience that they have and are looking for and, and, and in many cases miss and are frustrated around when we think about healthcare. So the Intermountain experience needs to be at this point, I would say the best that healthcare can be as an experience, because frankly, I think we'll all recognize that the healthcare experience, not the core clinical care, but everything that really surrounds and and goes beyond that is not what it needs to be. So, So in terms of Intermountain, we have to, identify and really figure out how to solve for those points of friction, those gaps, those pain points, 
and and do that and do that quickly and do that well. And so that in a way will advance our experience. It will make us a better, more comparable to other industry sectors experience. But I don't think that in the long term is going to define or differentiate into mountain. We're all on that journey to have a better experience in healthcare. In the near term, it, it may differentiate us. It may make us more relevant and more pleasing. But 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 we also want to, just like any organization, find the way to really elevate and distinguish our experience to be even more relevant even more value to our consumers. So it's kind of a two-part process of identifying where healthcare needs to be and then where is Intermountain we can deliver on that, but then go above and beyond and have a defining Intermountain experience. And, and so that's the journey. Right now we're doing a lot of exploratory work. Given that we know so little about the people that we serve, Thankfully, they spend relatively little time on average with our hospitals and clinics. Um, but, but as a result of that, we have very little exposure or insight to people's lives. And we talked last time about the great amount of data, but not necessarily a great amount of insight from um, standard industry surveys and the like. So, so we're doing some broad exploratory work, and that'll involve ethnography and a whole bunch of other approaches to really deeply understand the, le- the lives that people live and the lives they want to live and then how we as healthcare professionals and we as Intermountain can really fit in to that and, and to help people live the lives they want to live, the healthiest lives that, 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 that is possible. You mentioned the word uh, relevance or being relevant to people. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can imagine people wondering and scratching their heads and, 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 and trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? We deliver medical care, clinical care in various forms and services. You know, of course we're relevant. What, what do you, what do you mean by not relevant? So that's, that's one question. Let me, let me just lay a couple on you and then you could, you could, uh, skate through them. And, um, and, uh, you, you also talked about points of friction. And so I'm, Curious how you, how you discover, go about discovering those points of friction, those gaps, as you said. And then finally, you talked, you said just a wonderful statement in terms of uh, how striking it is. We know so little about the people we serve. And so how, how are you, what do you mean by we know so little? What do you mean by this issue of, of lack of relevance and, and the points of friction? And how, how are you going about that? And, and for instance, are you going about it by condition by condition? Are you going about it by service line? And so, so relevance, you're right. Of course, it may seem like a, a striking or unusual word that, that, that may not be clear what I mean. In healthcare, I would say in many other walks of life or industries, it's a term that is, is, is more more understood as it relates to consumerism, of course, people get what the mean, meaning of the word is. So, so as I came into healthcare on, on this point, um, you know, there's a lot of talk and, and I guess attempts to measure and really increase loyalty. And so loyalty is desired as a, as a, as a provider, as a system, as, as, as frankly, as a human being. And, but I think that it's increasingly, um, uh, you know, hard to, to to sort of think about things that way or, or, or not the most meaningful way to think of that, things. In healthcare, you know, 
people are loyal to a degree, but I think it's quite often through inertia. And it's a passive form of loyalty that may have to do with a, a familial or personal relationship with a provider over time. So you get kind of used to that provider and, and you know, get, get to enjoy and, and appreciate the care. Plus, as a system, you may be locked in or feel locked in via your health plan. And thankfully, you know, given the average person doesn't spend more than a few hours in a um, specialty uh, or even perhaps clinic environment in a given year, um, that's okay. You know, it's okay to to, to not um, be interacting with healthcare every single day. But, but so healthcare loyalty to me is more passive, more about inertia than perhaps it needs to be going forward, where the world will be about the consumer, the choices, the control, empowerment, and, and partnership they seek. And that's where I think relevance comes into play. So that means that we, we, we need to be earning people's preference rather than relying upon their loyalty. And, and if we get loyalty from that in the longer term, that's great. But, but it's a different mindset. We have to be day-to-day or whenever they interact or even when they don't, creating the situation where they are predisposed to us, where they would preference us. So that means that we have to be relevant and not assume that relationship's there and it'll remain forever. That, I think, drives complacency. So relevant could be, and this is where you don't assume what it looks like. You have to start with the consumer and what would be relevant to them that meets their needs is then all about how do we meet people where they want us to meet them. That could be about engaging with us via digital tools. It could be about um, the, the way we describe and engage them. I mean, that could have some marketing a- aspects to it. It could be about delivering the type of care or, or, or in, in many cases for a younger generation, the right kind of wellness or lifestyle um, you know, services, products, or, or, or kind of um, partnerships. So I think being relevant is something that brands in all sorts of other fields and and um, increasing now within the healthcare have to be mindful of and not assume loyalty. This is often because of generational change. You know, I think we all recognize, many of us are now, as it becomes the biggest cohort, millennials, that, that there is something about a millennial that is inherently less loyal a little more fickle, more driven by, say, convenience and utility than blind brand loyalty. So being relevant could be about convenience. It could be about proximity. It could be about affordability. And that's what we need to focus on. And and Gen Z coming behind millennials and already here hitting the late teens is going to be this and more. Mm-hmm. So So that's what I mean by relevancy of that if that makes sense. And it's it's really trying to focus us as a system, not just on measuring loyalty and assuming that, but driving relevance, driving that preference. And then if we drive loyalty in the long term, that's great. But it keeps us with our eyes on the ball mm-hmm. with everything we do. It seems to me a couple of things, and I want I want to check this if I if this is coming across to me uh and I'm understanding you. It seems to me you that uh, first of all, uh, I, I so much prefer uh, your definition or how you're defining relevance over loyalty. Uh, loyalty seems like an old word, and it seems to me like relevance is the new loyalty. And so that was thought number one as you were as you were speaking. And thought number two was, you know, I asked you for a, de- a definition, and you're, what I heard you say was, 
actually it's the customer that defines relevance, not us again. Um, and so I'm, I'm finding that I'm still stuck in a bit of a, a old mindset there myself. And, and that, that relevance is uh, constantly changing. Number one, it, and it's, it depends on demographics like the generation. And I'm wondering too, if it depends on, the particular context. So uh, an older patient in their 80s that are dealing with multiple chronic complex conditions and social isolation has a different um, definition uh, of relevance than a, uh, a 40-year-old something with hypertension uh, and yes. uh, or someone who's uh, well and just seeking uh, prevention and that sort of proactive care. So, so those, that's what came across to me. Does that sound like what you're saying? It, it does. So you you, you um, astutely kind of got back to the that the, 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 this is absolutely defined by and about the consumer. So um, it's like we talked about value last time. You know, value like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder, not something we get to define on behalf of our consumer. They will know and tell us what's of value to them. And and similarly, relevance too. We we can't assume what makes us relevant. We have to understand them to then meet that expectation. I would just add one small thing, Zev. The word relevance is sort of ironically, while I'm using it, not a word that most consumers would use. So again, you know, we have our construct around relevance, but people will talk about that in many ways and, and we have to we we have to sort of interpret and understand it in 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 those terms, not even by the nature of the word relevance, if, yeah. if that so yeah anyway so that's how i think about that and I, and I think that's super important for us to be focused on not just from a competitive point of view but but really truly from the point of view of of meeting people's needs um as as i think is really our purpose in this in this profession mm-hmm. so one of the things i'm i'm focused on um as you think about some of these these ideas and and being more relevant and more um you know, more about meeting needs versus serving people how, where, and, and when we wish to as, as provider systems is, is that um, we, we do have to start with, with, with consumers. And so for those younger generations and, and others who thankfully are less engaging with us through chronic and other conditions who may even be skeptics, skeptical about why they would need insurance or what, what does healthcare and what's the relevance of providers? I mean, um, you know, with, with, with kids of this sort of generation, uh, Gen Z and coming through, they'll probably default more to a, an algorithm based way of triaging or even diagnosing a situation than going to a physician. So mm-hmm. relevance is, I think is really important for us as, as an industry to think about, what do what does relevance look like for people who either don't feel they need to be insured or if they are insured don't see value from that insurance given that they're relatively well how do we engage and provide value in people's lives and it starts to make you think about healthcare not to lose sight of all of what we do which is just critical and special in the in the in the in the care sense but but in lives and lifestyles, how do we be relevant there, especially as generations come into or, or, or frankly don't come into healthcare because they don't see the relevance at this stage in their lives so that when they do need us, like it's going back to the relevance and they have that predisposition to, to, to come to us versus come to, to, to others because there will be many other players in the healthcare space who will be 
offering value mm-hmm. um, in, in that kind of way. Uh, and traditionally, healthcare systems have not been focused on that. Mm-hmm. And it, at Intermount, we're really trying to drive upstream, whether it be about social determinants, population health, or just um, you know thinking about those that are engaged but lightly. How do we offer more value to help keep them healthy, well, and living the lives they want to mm-hmm. versus um, just treating them when they're not so well. Yeah. So I'm curious as to how, how you would characterize your first year and a half in healthcare. Yeah, it's been pretty frenetic in a, in a really good way. And that I think as I've seen it and continue to see it, the work has to be on multiple levels and timelines. So when I joined, there was already some groundwork done around um, transforming our experience from a digital perspective. So we've really, um, I, I've really now been been very focused on driving that forward, and we can certainly talk more about that. Um, but also being quite highly engaged in work that has been not about digital, not about technology at all, but rather about the frontline um, patient, uh, nurse, or physician, and even caregiver to caregiver experience in that in that very frontline care, um, uh, clinical space and and how do we take a step back and ensure that that experience for all involved is as is as humanistic and natural and empowering and ultimately driving of value the the things that people want as it can be so that it doesn't feel so tasky and so um um, kind of almost at times Mm -hmm. um clinical in the sense of being a bit bit robotic and not so personalized mm-hmm. and 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 so that's been work that we've been doing too and you know coming into healthcare you you, you could believe that humanism and consumerism are as far apart as you could possibly get but consumerism in the outside world embraces and it's really in many ways defined by things like humanism they're not mm-hmm. different they're one and the same and then um you know even as i think about that digital mm-hmm. transformation and what you know the so-called digital front door, uh, which is really focusing on things like online scheduling. And we're trying to think about that again from a consumer point of view, about finding care, managing care, paying for care, beyond care, which could be upstream of care or post-care, so that we can reflect and enable the journey people take and support that much more efficiently and effectively and personally through digital tools, but also that we don't lose sight of the fact that People don't want apps so much as they want access to great clinical care in the most seamless, efficient way possible. Mm-hmm. And holistically, they want a good experience. So even that digital work, we've been focusing also on the holistic experience. So we don't end up with a great app. It mm-hmm. doesn't solve the experience problem that people have mm-hmm. in the first place. And then the cultural or mindset piece, I'm mean, trying to spend the time I can to, mm-hmm. to get out and meet, meet people and understand how they think about the world that we're in in healthcare and then provide some consumer perspective mm-hmm. um, too. So, uh, so I'm trying to work mm-hmm. on different things at different mm-hmm. levels, say, and ultimately this is a bit of a mindset shift. So that's mm-hmm. important work internally as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm listening to you and I, 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 I would love to dive into right now into the two arms you talked about the digital and, and, and a couple examples of what you're doing in digital as well as the frontline examples. But, you know, as I'm listening to you speak, uh, it, it reminds me of what you, the story you shared about going to China and opening up the first, uh, uh, Disney theme park in China. And, uh, and the fact is that, uh, 
you know, I think you said this, that if, if it was a healthcare uh, organization or person going in, they would have gone in and, and maybe asked some questions and then built the theme park. And you all, from what I recall, spent quite a bit of time up front just trying to figure out who the Chinese people were, what they were about, uh, how uh, leisure time and vacation time uh, fit into an entertainment fit into their lives. And, um, and it sounds to me like you're doing something similar now in healthcare. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So so while we'll start broad and and think about ways that different people kind of belong to cohorts of conditions or generations, ultimately the great news is I think we can get very personalized and one-to-one in the future with how we engage and, and have a relationship with people in their lives and then how we, um, get ahead of conditions and then ultimately mm. treat them where we where we need to. Mm. So, th- so that's how we're approaching that. I mean, friction. Just to go back to that thing, and a lot of what we've done in the in my old life at Disney was about understanding friction. By which I mean simply anything that gets in the way of the experience uh, that that somebody is seeking or, or needing. So, if that is, I don't know how to find a physician. I don't know how to pay. I, I don't know how to um, get, get access to a particular facility, or, or frankly, I do, but I show up and then you're running late with your schedule, so I have to go away, but you could have told me ahead of time. It's just all of those things that get in the way, the barriers, the pebbles in the shoe that really do make it a very fragmented and frustrating experience. So, so that's what I mean by friction. So I think in other lives, again, and working with alliance partners in hospitality and banking, you know, typically you'll see if you can address some of those pain points and really flush them out, mitigate them, it it really does then enable a patient, let's say, arriving with a primary care physician to be in a very different state of mind. And um, therefore, that experience could be enhanced by virtue of not arriving (laughs) in a state of frustration and almost negative equity. Um, so, so addressing those friction points, really, again, acknowledging that the clinical care in general in our country is in great shape, can hugely elevate the overall experience and, frankly, um, eliminate of what gets in the way of physician and other caregivers who want to really focus on purpose. Um, so that's kind of where we're, we're focused. And, and so a lot of the work from an insight, from an exploratory point of view, is identifying those friction points, I guess, in some way, dimensionalizing them so we can prioritize because there's a lot of them and then go after them, whether it's digital process or otherwise. Yeah. What I heard you say also uh, is you're, it sounds to me like you're also focused on the, uh, these friction points for the caregivers themselves, for the providers of care as well, making, making the experience of delivering care more humane. That's exactly right. So, you know, if a consumer which I know is a word that can cause a, a negative reaction in healthcare, which I do understand. But if a consumer is really somebody who uses or could use your, in this case, product services, et cetera, then, then those caregivers, whether they're physicians, nurses, APCs, are consumers. And so um, anything we do or aspire to do or will do down the road has to work as well, if not better, for our caregivers as for those that they care for. Otherwise, it simply won't be adopted it won't offer value. It, it's kind of almost trading off friction for somebody, for somebody else. And that can never be w- what we end up doing. So when we think about things like the digital front door, that will be optimized and 
and, and hopefully as delightful as, as for a physician as it is for the patient or the member of our health plan. Mm-hmm. So, so do you have a, a, can you share an example of, you've talked about the digital front door or how you are implementing or deploying some digital technology or tool or initiative to improve the experience? Yeah, so the, the digital front door is right now in development. We just developed a prototype um, and, and I would, as, as quickly as I can move off from the front door concept, because what we're looking to create here and now, as I said, on that journey is, is, is so much more than a front door and access point. It's really something that can help digitally support access to navigation through education around payment for healthcare. So, so I'm thinking about it as really end to end and quite a pervasive platform through which you can um, you know, like I said, find, manage, navigate through, avoid, a- and pay for care. So, so we just developed the prototype, which which we're going to be now building and piloting in the next several months. And we're focused right now on the first module, which is finding care. And then we'll proceed through other modules and really build this out over the next. Um, that's a big focus for us in 19, really, uh, to have to, to have developed, built, and deployed that um, is, is our focus on the digital front this year. And so through that, for sure, you're going to be able to triage to the right kind of care setting, be it, be it uh, primary care, connect care, or, you know, uh, sort of urgent or critical care as needed, but really trying to um, get people to where it's most relevant and affordable um, and appropriate. But, but, you know, down the road, text-based notifications and prescriptions and labs and just access to your uh, health record. I mean, these are all sort of in the roadmap so that it becomes that one-stop shop for your um, relationship with that, with us, with, a, with us as a healthcare system, as a health insurance company. And you mentioned a moment ago, this, uh, the issue of the clinical frontline, how, how are you, how are you introducing consumerism and, and, and relevance there? So, um, again, consumerism here in the sense of peopleism, if you will. Um, so starting with, um, we, we spent some time in, in that work, um, with patients, with all sorts of different kinds of clinicians, um, exploring in their lives, what has represented a really, um, satisfying or exceptional experience uh it could be from any walk of life we, we put no parameters around that and also what has represented in life's really poor experiences and 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 then started to get into well, why why was that so exceptional why was it so poor um how did it make you feel because the thing that i think is often forgotten about when you're talking about experiences that fundamentally experience is not just what you did but how you felt so we spent a lot of time thinking about the feelings what does it feel like to be, if you will, on the receiving end of a great experience? What does it feel like to provide a great experience? So we, so then we sort of, having gleaned some insights around that, started to work our way into the healthcare space and people's jobs and direct experiences and had a similar kind of conversation. And what we were trying to really do is sort of um, highlight and really focus on the things that matter most when it comes to experience. 
because I'm sure like many healthcare systems, we've got, um, you know, things that you might call kind of standards or, 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 or directions and things that you should do. And we're not seeking, by the way, in this work to, to do anything that would encroach upon or change the need for clinical excellence or consistency and so on. This is really more around the other aspects of that clinical um, time with a patient. So we came out of that with, with themes and words that's like, okay, so the essence of an experience is these things, and that's what that looks like, that's what it consists of, that's what it feels like. And so having done that, we're now working through what would be the way to make sure that happens always between a nurse, a patient, between a patient and a physician, and so on and so forth, that, that feels a little different to maybe how it has felt in the past where somebody might have this sense of tasks they need to um, click through. Um, again, not clinical tasks, I'm talking about other aspects of that interaction, and, and have it feel more organic, more authentic, more more real and more personal. So that becomes about um, empathy and listening skills and understanding and curiosity. And, and ultimately what it becomes about is empowerment. That the frontline caregiver is really trusted and empowered to do the right thing within the parameters of what an experience should be like, and then to use their curiosity and presence to, to, to figure that out in the moment and deliver it in an, an authentic way versus try and remember tasks or, or, or kind of directions as to what that should be. Because as we looked over the longer term, having done a number of these things, which, you know, are really well-crafted and genuinely important things to be doing, we had not seen great shifts, for example, on experience scores. So it just felt like if we could be less preoccupied on the front line with the experience scores, per se, and more focused on being empowered and creating together a great experience, then scores and such like would start to take care of themselves. And I draw a parallel with my time at Disney where we had the four key basics, which is really not dissimilar to some of the things we have in healthcare, but the key, the, the most important key was not one of the four keys, but rather the empowerment of uh, cast members to understand and be able to deliver and enable the right experience for that guest at that moment. So, so that's some of the work. So that may not sound at all like consumerism, uh, which I, I love that if it doesn't sound like consumerism, because it is consumerism, it's just not the way consumerism can come off, which is cold and corporate and marketing. In fact, it's incredibly, I think, aligned with purpose in, in, in healthcare. So, so hopefully that gives a flavor of that kind of, of work. And we're now rolling that out and thinking about, um, you know, how to make that part of our way of being, how we show up and, and what an experience feels like at Intermountain. Hmm. Yeah. First of all, I love the term you use, peopleism instead of consumerism. That um, that wasn't lost on me. I really, really like that. And it, it speaks to, I mean, it really kind of captures your, 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 your points really well. And the other point you made about, and I think this is really important. I've, I've heard this theme from from a number of, uh, of guests on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Don Berwick talked about it and, 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 and you've talked about it before and others. The issue of, uh, in fact, uh, Dr. Kyra Bobinet, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, who's an expert in behavior change, uh, the idea of goals and metrics and measurement uh, can 
can, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but in some sense subvert uh, the very purpose that you're trying to go for. And you get so caught up with the scoreboard and the metric that you, you undermine uh, the, what you want your providers and your staff to be doing. And um, so I, I don't, I don't have a great handle on that, but I've just heard it over and over again. And I, I, definitely understand it. I mean, I intuit on a very personal yeah. level. Um, I understand yeah. it that way, but I don't know how to describe it, uh, but but I've seen it. And and again, it's not just me. I know Dr. Berwick has, has actually been speaking about this and, and from a quality perspective, and I believe as well from a patient experience perspective and, and talking about the fact that we metrics have in healthcare have uh, really become so front and center that they're now running us as opposed to us yeah. using them as a tool. And I hear that same thing from you. Yeah, uh, it's been so. So think about ahas and, and and sort of surprises to me coming into healthcare. It's not entirely that, but but I have been kind of a bit bemused by just how focused we are on benchmarking and, and metrics and and goals and, and 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 the like. Again, I'm a very accountable person. You know, I, I don't expect to do things that don't drive value for for the consumer or for the business, and hopefully they're one and the same thing. So, so I love metrics. I love to be, you know, leveraging metrics to give me insight on the front end and then as experiences are developed and deployed to, to measure the impact they have. I mean, that is absolutely what we should be doing. But so, And metrics, of course, have their place in the sense that, you know, there are financial incentives that, that, that sort of come from having, you know, good metrics around quality uh, and so on. So I'm not in denial, but, but as I think we mentioned last time, some of that, that data um, is not insightful in the sense of telling me what people need and want or when there's an issue, why that is. So it's not very diagnostic. It's not very insightful. There's no why often in that. There's no therefore for me to go act against. Um, so it's kind of interesting. We've got this world where we swirl in data and metrics, but but not much of it from an experience point of view is super helpful. Um, and so uh, to me, and I think trying to sort of bring it to life with that last example, let's focus on needs and expectations and the experience that we really need to enable. And then as we do that, that will help us to find the right way to measure that because you do want to measure it. And unfortunately, most of the metrics we have today, it's like a, uh, trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole. They're not aligned with that because they were never defined to do that job. Mm. So I think we have to be open to developing new metrics that are meaningful for the work that we're now doing versus for the purpose they were devised, if that makes sense. And so it makes so much sense that I'm thinking that it would be hard to move forward uh, on on consumerism or customer perspective or as relevance or as you put it, peopleism without actually creating some new metrics. Um, if we're going to be tied to the traditional ones, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to allow us to do, to move forward in the way that uh, you're talking about. Well, as an example of that, Zed, yeah. I mean, I think when, yeah. um, you know, um, Steve Jobs and others were really in garages or whatever they were kind of, building out and just innovating and just changing the world, they were never, I don't think, kind of weighed down or obsessing around how would that be measured. 
so, so again, I'm not saying it shouldn't be measured. They measure themselves in lots of ways today as the world's biggest companies. But I think on the front end, you have to define and do the right work and then figure the metrics out as you go and as you kind of come out of that. And mm -hmm. as an example of that, you know, as many healthcare's do, we, we spend a lot of time looking at fundamental metrics around quality, safety, um, experiences defined in, in CAP surveys and the like. And that's all good work and important. But, but just take something like safety. You know, you may have systems or, or, or providers that look at safety in terms of the absence of harm or the absence of um, death. But, but you may not spend time thinking about whether people feel safe. And, and that's a more subjective, emotionally based metric. But frankly, at a place like Disney, you, you're concerned with both. You want people to have the perception of safety as well as the actuality of safety. And so as a guest at Disney or as a patient, you're not confronted with hopefully at least the lack of harm, but you do want to feel safe. So if that's true, how do we measure that? You won't measure that by looking only at the harm events, which is important work too. So let's develop a metric that helps us understand people's perception of safety. Very simple example. It's not displacing anything. It's, it's, it's kind of augmenting it with a consumer perspective on, in this case, safety. And that can apply to caregivers too. Do they have a feeling of psychological safety? Um, typically, we haven't been measuring those aspects of safety, just to give mm -hmm. that one example. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I, I think that's brilliant. The, the understanding that there are uh, functional definitions and regulatory requirements uh, that we have to meet. Uh, and uh, I think I, I really love this, this, you're, you're hugging this, uh, this, this concept of, of how does it feel? Because, you know, reminded, and I, I've used this quote, in the past, uh, you know, Maya Angelou's quote that, you know, people forget what you say, uh, but they'll never mm -hmm. forget how you made them feel. And right. I think there, that's such a true and powerful statement. And, you know, everything you've been talking about in some sense uh, echoes that. Well, I, you know, I think there's a very, uh, very concrete connection here to this issue of uh, physician and provider burnout, which is just, it's an epidemic, right, across the country. Uh, whether it's 40, 50, or, or greater percent of, uh, of providers who are burnt out. And, um, uh, you know, they're, they're disenfranchised, they're demoralized, they're depressed, um, depersonalized. I mean, this is, this is not a way to, to live. It's not a way to work. And it's not a way to deliver something as important as, as clinical care and healthcare. And, I think it really, everything you're speaking to, and you, you talked about the fact that your, your customer in your mind is not, is, is the patient and their family members, but it's also the providers and staff. And, and it's, yeah. it's, you can't, I, I, I believe this and you see this in great, in great brands. You see this at Disney. You see this at, at the Ritz. You, you see the integrity of, of that, uh, customer service, uh, right. you know, right. And, so, um, so yes. Yeah. And so you think about burnout. I mean, as you say, it's 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 very pervasive. It's one of the biggest issues we face, um, and and clearly as individuals, it, it's destructive. And so, um, and and there's many ways it, it, it comes to be. So I think about that digital piece. I, I would hate to end up. We will not end up, you know, uh, adding to the burnout through more tools and more work or different work other than if it's enabling and freeing people up and making things more convenient. 
you know, healthcare with EMRs has not had the greatest track record always of, of, of helping clinicians cut through to their purpose. Although that's sort of in a way what some of those things are designed to do. So that digital front door type experience has to meet that bar. It, it has to help clinicians remove some of their friction and, and even some of their patients friction so that there is that ability to focus and connect with, with, with purpose. The, the other thing I would maybe say on burnout is, um, a lot of it, um, and there are so many different reasons has to do with so much getting in the way of, um, that core clinical purpose. And I, I've heard many physicians say, uh, that, or, or sort of you can infer from what they say that being more consumer centric, A, A could add work or, or, or B could, could in a way make my role feel less valued or valuable and, and, and me less, not, not important in the sense of self-importance, but important in the sense of, you know, I, I've trained hard, I've got incredible experience, I bring great value and care. Um, and, and what I would say on that one is, I, I don't think there's a trade-off between, if you will, power or empowerment between the patient and the physician. I think what consumerism is all about and what it can enable is, again, that that focus on what physicians and other clinicians bring and can do like nobody else can do and and then a, a an empowered um satisfied even sometimes delighted or, or or just grateful consumer based upon the experience they've had to me I, I, as a physician if i were one i could derive great um, satisfaction from that that too. I, I don't see that there's a trade-off or a, a moving of power uh, from from one to the other. We're all in it together. And I think mm-hmm. consumerism can really help, and 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 that maybe has some contribution in the broader scheme of things to to burnout. Hopefully, I completely agree with that. So you've been traveling around the country for the past few months uh, and uh, and giving lectures and 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 talks on and and on this issue and joining other colleagues. I'm curious as to what you're hearing from others. Is this a movement that's picking up? Are there others like you who are entering into healthcare? Are you developing people within healthcare to under, have these understandings and these skill sets? Um, it's just, I mean, because the work, this is still work. I mean, there's, there's technique and there's skill, um, to, to building this stuff and deploying it in addition to, I'm not even talking about the, the digital technology side of it, just, just the, the consumerism side of it. So what, what, what are you hearing, seeing across the country? Uh, what are some of the challenges? Uh, I'm just very, very curious as to that larger picture. Um, so, so I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by, by where we are and where we're going, but, but I do not underestimate the cultural mindset shift that this is going to take to really be what it needs to be. I still think it's a bit of a marginal, um, side sort of focus for many, many systems. And of course, where we need to get to is where it's not, um, that, but rather it's front and center and it's how we do our work. It's not new work. It's not extra work. It's a component of the work mm-hmm. we do. Well, what do you think, Kevin, what do you think about, as you were talking, in fact, before the thought that came to mind was, this is new work and it's new conceptual frameworks. It's very, very hard to bring this into a legacy system and it's going to take some time. But contrast that with 
the new entrants, whether you're talking about the startups and the garages and the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, I mean, I can't keep, keep up with all the startups that are, you know, coming out. And then, and then the large uh, new entrants like, uh, you know, like the tech, digitech companies like Amazon and, and IBM and Google companies, uh, Alphabet companies, uh, you know, Microsoft, Apple, uh, all, you know, Walmart, Walgreens, uh, CVS, these companies have grown up with a, a retail customer perspective. And so they don't necessarily have to learn it. It's there. Now they're bringing it to healthcare. So it seems to me there is a, it's coming, the consumerism is coming in from a different way, not just from within, but from without. And so I, I would just love for you to, you, what are your thoughts about those new entrants and, and the consumer customer perspective they bring? Yes. So I think as we think about what we need to be doing and, and, and what we aim for within healthcare to be more relevant, drive that preference to be more consumer centric. Sure. There are things we can, there's a lot we know. There's a lot we know we can do to, to, towards that from within. And by even talking to and sharing ideas with other healthcare systems, legacy uh, or otherwise, but, but, but you're right. It's coming from various directions, somewhat from within. Um, but that's not, I don't think, pervasive or fast enough. The reality is the consumer is moving far faster than we are. So it's coming from the consumer themselves. It's coming from the experiences they have, the bars that are set by the Amazons, the CVSs, the same people, different experience in retail to what they get in healthcare. That, that, that cannot be true forevermore. Like the, the expectation has to be the same. We have to meet it the same way. Mm. And so to your point, some of those new entrants, most of them probably come hardwired to be consumer centric. It's what they are. It's not some aspect of what they do. It's not even a department. It's just what they are. So we have to respond to that. We have to understand what it is to be consumer centric. And, and frankly, I think we have to partner just as so many are within healthcare to not only plug that in, but but to, to to sort of to be able to deliver on it, whether that's to do with convenience or affordability or or, or, or the kind of retail model. So I think partnership is a big big part of that. Uh, but but we can't, I don't think, in in healthcare just sort of say, well, we'll bring what we bring to the table. They'll bring the consumer centricity and so on, and the partnership will work. In many cases, competition is going to be the name of the game and. And healthcare systems will 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 not thrive, will not survive. Um, so we have to develop it. We have to respond to the consumer and those new entrants, and that may be partnership, it may be competition. Um, but 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 at the end of the day, I think it's healthy because it's going to accelerate our journey in terms of being more consumer centric. Um, we just have to be on on the train and 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 driving the train, not not just laying down on the tracks and saying, well legacy systems are going to die, you know, because, you know, again, we as, as, as healthcare systems, as, as providers, as clinicians, as hospitals and clinics, um, there's a lot that some of those new entrants don't have, couldn't necessarily build or, or create or, 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 or even aspire to, may, may not want to. And so we've got to kind of remember all that's great about our industry and what we uniquely bring and then find the ways to augment that. And then I think, again, we're in a strong place uh, if we do the right work. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's really helpful. You know, what I, what I hear and I guess have some concern about is I think as some of the, the leaders I've heard speak around the country talk about partnering, the focus is very much on the technology. And, uh, you know, you hear this term, we have to digitize, digitize healthcare. And, uh, what I don't hear a lot about is the, that real shift is not just the, the digital technology, but it's, it's really the framework, uh, the consumer customer framework, that perspective that maybe isn't as much appreciated. And so the connection is not just being able to connect the digital technology in with the legacy, um, uh, infrastructure, but also that, that culture, that customer consumer oriented culture and those processes in as well. And I, I just don't think that that's understood and gets as much play. Um, I mean, I've, I've not seen a lot of writing, uh, with some exception, uh, you know, from senior leadership across the country, really emphasizing what we're talking about or understanding it in the same way as they do, uh, understand the digital technology. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. It goes back to the comment I made earlier around those that may equate consumerism with simply having a, having an app and, 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 and then sort of the sense of job, job done that we are now consumerist back to some of those, um, you know, tech and other players. Sure. They're very aware of what they bring. They, they bring the world's best when it comes to technology, but, but how they think about the role they play in people's lives isn't just defined by the technology. If you talked about this, emotions and, and, and value um, that, that technology enables. So, so I think you, you're right. We, technology and digitization of healthcare is front and center. It, 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 but again, at some point, it too may become table stakes. And so therefore, ha, what's the handoff like between digital and physical or human? Um, is the technology really delivering um, the experience needs and expectations or are there other aspects to that to that challenge and so it's front and center but it, it can't limit us and I don't mean to say we shouldn't focus it's it's by far the biggest focus I have right now and that's that, that's correct but, but consumerism is about so much more than than that um, because again talk to consumers they may or may not say they need digital tools they may not realize that they do and they'll still value them when we bring them but they'll talk about a lot else in their lives and that we can be in their lives from an experience point of view that goes well beyond the technology. Mm -hmm. This goes back to Steve Jobs and, you know, everything I've heard read about what he brought to it was not a digital or technology perspective, but a design and, and, and customer oriented and humanistic perspective. And I think that's what separated him from uh, and, and his colleagues from others who were doing similar work. It was just a departure. Uh, and I've heard that uh, in the in the dozens and dozens of interviews I've done over the past couple of years from CEOs and entrepreneurs who were highly successful. I, I don't hear them talking about the intricacies of the technology as being the challenge. I hear them talking about exactly what you said, um, the same words and themes, the relevance uh, you know, that you can't, you're competing. There's so much competition and it's not from the hospital or clinic across the street. Uh, it's, and it's not, it's not even from the new entrance. Um, it's everything. And so, you know, at the same time as we are competing 
when you talk about diet or nutrition or physical activity, we're competing with other industries uh, that want us to sit and uh, sit in front of screens and and eat certain foods and so the competition is real. It's, it's, it's a competition for our, our attention. It's actually a competition for, you know, our energy, our enthusiasm, our engagement, um, our preference, as you, as you put it. Um, I mean, that's the way the picture is bigger than we, we understand it to be. It absolutely is. So, you know, we talked about that work we're doing to better understand our consumers here at Intermountain. And, and just like in my past lives, you need to start way up in people's lives and then sort of funnel down to healthcare, specialty-based or community-based and keep going until you get to Intermountain, the brand and what we represent. But let's start broad and high. So places like Disney and others, we, would, we might start with thinking, well, what, what do people's lives look like? What, what do they value and need and, and how do they live their lives? And the space we can occupy, the things we can do and be to them may start with they have discretionary time, they have discretionary spend. That's the sandbox. There's lots of things Disney wouldn't do. There's lots of things healthcare systems wouldn't do. But by starting high and broad, to your point, you think about then value-based care. You think about health and wellness and getting ahead of um, care needs in, in the clinical sense. Um, so what does that look like? It, it is then you're now into the realm of lifestyle. You're into the realm of, of wellness. And so you're in a different market, you're in a different business, or you've, I, w- I, would, I would restate that, you've broadened and, and ex- extended or expanded your brand and your, your, your services and the role you play. So competition is definitely different. Now, is it, is it spas? Is it fitness? I mean, w- what does that look like? I, I don't think we think in those terms, but, but we have to. And that, I think, will help us compete where we need to better in those spaces, but also that will inform what we do in that more specialty environment versus just thinking about that in a sort of vacuum. Um, Because again, the people we serve don't live in uh, specialty-based or or community-based care or clinical (laughs) pro, those are constructs. They don't live in that business model or that organizational structure. So we have to, we have to start with the consumer and then find a way to connect that to how we're organized and the work we do and the people we compete with. Mm-hmm. We, we have to think about the space we, we occupy uh, in their lives. I, I really love that, that phrase. Uh, I, I think that's so, I, I, I don't think that's the way we in healthcare have ever thought about ourselves, that, that we have to think about the space we occupy in their lives as opposed to thinking about, um, the space that they occupy in in healthcare it's it's an inversion that is is stark i mean it's it's and it's real i i i think you should coin that phrase that's a that's a just it's so to the core of everything we've been talking about would i mean does that make sense and it's the emotional sense too it's the mind space right it's the way they think mm-hmm. about what we do and i i realize as i say it um what, what are you talking about? Like, it sounds like I'm uh, a, a, a Woodstock or something yes. kind of get, getting somewhat spaced out. But, but, it, mm-hmm. but, it, but again, outside of healthcare, not, not unfamiliar language, the way brands and companies do think about um, the value or the role they play in people's lives. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's really, we do have to start flipping that, that perspective and that mindset. 
Yeah. What haven't we talked about? Is there something that that I haven't asked or, or you know, some important insight you've learned, some challenge you've come across? What's, what's the side? Is there, is there something we've left out in the conversation right now? We've, we've moved around a lot of topics today, and I know last time too, and nothing immediately springs to mind. Um, but I'm quite sure that if I were to think it through, we've probably covered <laughs> a tenth of a tenth of what we could have covered. Because again, I come from a world where you didn't have to talk about this stuff. You just did it. And so sometimes I struggle with sort of stepping back and not just jumping and being it, but having to sort of explain and talk about and find examples. And so honestly, nothing right now springs to mind, but I'm sure we've missed a lot. And maybe that says we need to do another podcast. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I would love to schedule another one. That part about doing. So I, when we when, when we had the last podcast and posted it in September, early September, there were a number of listeners who wrote in questions. I, I actually uh, elicited questions. And one of the questions was this issue of doing. And uh, so you, uh, this is, like you said, this is what you do. This is what you've done for decades in other mm-hmm. industry. And, um, but for most of us, and particularly, and especially in organizations that are smaller than these large integrated systems uh, that we, we work in, what, I mean, how do people do this? I mean, how, how would anyone go about this? Is this something that you'd have to hire, uh, you know, a, a Kevin Mabbitt or uh, someone else, uh, you know, like that? Do you have to create a department, a division? Uh, do you outsource it? I mean, how the doing of it seems, it seems like we need to, uh, again, it's build it, buy it, partner, but how do you bring that in? How do you think about the doing part of it for, for yourself and for others? Yeah, this may sound a little self-serving, um, but I don't think this is an easy thing to just outsource mm-hmm. um, because what we're talking about here, ultimately, whether we're thinking digital or all sorts of other ways of being more consumer-centric, more affordable, et cetera, more accessible, is a, a mind shift. It, it's a change of thinking around what space we occupy, what we do, what value we bring. And I don't. And so therefore it becomes part of the DNA of your organization. I, I think it's hard or probably not always successful to outsource that. So do you need a department? Do you need a me? Probably not a me, but having, um, having somebody who, or a, a set of people who can really focus on this and very um, systematically and relentlessly go after it, I think is important. You've got to find, you know, quick wins or pain points to address. And that's what we're trying to do, whether it be digitally or otherwise, because it can sound very, I, I, I get very kind of conceptual, very almost academic or, or, or um, just not what we do. So, so, you know, not just conceptualizing, but demonstrating. I'm a big believer of not just asserting, but proving and showing and doing. So, so some of that can happen by, because you've got a team on the ground doing this stuff. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But but I would say in the longer term, um, and this is why if you go to a place like a Google or whatever, you won't find the chief consumer officer. You won't find the consumer department. They don't exist. It's it's everybody before you. And so my my sort of a role ought to become obsolete um, if, if I'm successful because it should have transferred from a department, a person, and some sort of projects to just the way we do, the way we are, and why we exist. So um, I think you have to sort of 
maybe get started with this and it could be a bit of a catalyst and find the right way to sort of light the right fires and see the movement um, spread. But but really, I think in the long term, I, I don't believe you should see consumer offices or departments in healthcare ne- as being necessary. Mm-hmm. It, it should just be how we do our work or an aspect of how we do our work. Um, but But getting started, for sure. I think getting people who've maybe done this and working with partners i'm not saying outsourcing um is a bad idea in the sense there's lots of great consultants and others who do this in other industries and that's just incredible to bring to healthcare um but, but i think equally it's probably not a great idea to say it's it's a part of somebody's job or it's something we bring a consultant in to do kind of entirely i think you've got to have some people on the ground who who kind of can get this and kind of move both the mindset and the work forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, that sounds right. I would completely agree with you. And is there any sort of final word to the listeners you'd like to share? Uh, no, no particular words of wisdom at this point. I, I'm um, so grateful to have the opportunity. I, I don't see myself as an evangelist. I see myself as a doer. So, so you know, as we go forward in our conversations, would love to especially as I go on my journey with Intermountain, bring more and more kind of tangible examples of this and mm-hmm. proof points and inspiration from our hearts and such. Like I realize we've talked a little bit more uh, around the ideas here, um, but um, it, it can be super simple too. I, I know a primary care physician here who, who took it upon herself and her team to just simply walk in the patient's shoes and they mm-hmm. spent time getting out, if you will, of their kind of particular role and, and and kind of walking that journey into through and out of the clinic and understanding that in a totally different way. And it was a simple act of hmm. turning the tables, experiencing through the patient's shoes. So again, this does not need to be expensive. It doesn't always have to be about technology. It can be that simple um, change of perspective that I think any of us can 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 make happen and there's so much insight that they found that came from that simple walking in the guests in the in the patient's shoes and, and they've seen the impact on mm-hmm. on their experience and other scores i mean it's not um you know this is for real it, it, they focus on doing the right things they they didn't focus on the metrics but they've seen the metrics rise as they've done the right thing and that was simply by like i said walking in their patient's shoes so that's a great thing that I think people can do in practice and see the, the, the benefits from. Well, thank you, Fred. That's, that was a wonderful story and very, very helpful um, and I think very usable. So thank you for, for sharing that. And again, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for speaking with us. I, I'm so energized and I, I've got so many ideas and, and, uh, and uh, I love some of the phrasing that you've uh, shared this time. So, so again, thank you. Thank you, Zev. Pleasure as always. Great to talk to you. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed and benefited from this second interview with Kevin Mabbitt. Along these lines, and I don't often say this about an interview, but um, I think this is one of those interviews where you can easily miss some profound points uh, during the first pass of listening, especially if you're doing something else like uh, driving your car or walking your dog or working out the, at the gym, uh, the locations I often find myself in when I'm listening to podcasts. Now, I, I want to share something with you. I've listened to this interview at least half a dozen times as part of the editing process. And, and my experience, uh, and, and again, I'm being 
completely honest with you, I didn't appreciate half of what Mr. Mabbitt talked about, probably until the third or fourth time I went through it. Uh, from my perspective, he, he really has some uh, profound insights and observations that are really quite different from our mindset and, and our actions today. He's, he's clearly coming at this from a very different and what I think is an advanced perspective. You know, for me, uh, listening to him and repeatedly was almost like sitting in on a high level master's class in healthcare consumerism and patient experience. And again, I, 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 I feel that way about many, if not most of the interviews, but, but this one in particular. And as always, I would be delighted to hear your feedback on this podcast. Uh, so please email or connect with me via LinkedIn or Twitter. And, uh, and, and, and please don't hesitate to share this podcast with your colleagues. I, I think these learnings are so valuable and really need to be heard by senior leadership and, 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 and board members of provider groups and integrated delivery systems and, and payers across the country. And as I do each and every episode, I'd like to take a moment to express a special note of recognition and gratitude to all of you out there who are either directly providing care to patients and those of you who are supporting others in providing care. You're doing the hard and important work each and every day of taking care of others, and we all greatly appreciate you for that. My friends, this is Zev Neuwirth. You've been listening to Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.